Welcome back to Standby Line, the only podcast where you still haven't gotten the ride by the end. I'm your host, Tim, as always, and joined by my co-host, AJ. Hello, everybody. You know you know what would have been a funny intro? What? Uh, welcome back to Standby Line, the only ride where there, or, uh, the annual festival is all year long. <laughs> yeah, I wish I thought of that. So, you yeah. know, maybe we'll spice it up now and then for, for certain episodes, you know? But, of course, the problem is my brain always thinks of them after we do the intro. Yeah, that, that, that's always the trick, isn't it? So then I go, uh, and it's not, and I'm like, I'm not like, okay, let's just cut the recording, go back and like redo the intro. I'm like, no, we're already, we're already too far for that. Has it only been 20 seconds? Yeah, but that's 20 seconds too many. What, what, what are we going to go back and do it, do it again? No, no, no. We only do that when we don't have to tell people about it. So have we ever done it? You'll never know. <laughs> All right. So as always, uh, thank you to our VIP patrons, the Crystal Conman, Merzalistic, and Darian Smart. So as you might might have guessed by now, uh, today we're talking festivals. Mm-hmm. Epcot, Epcot's very own invasive species. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. It, it just... It seemed like a funny topic because I had I just recently went to the Food and Wine Festival on the day it opened up. But um, Tim and I are almost always joking to each other every time a festival opens about, oh, it's only been like two days since the last one. Which, it's a joke, but not only really. Sli- <laughs> only slightly. Only slightly. Yeah, so I did a little bit of a quick and d- dirty math uh, based on last last year's schedule. So, before I tell you what the actual answer is, I want you to uh, just take a guess on how many days in the year 2021 there was not a festival at Epcot. And I'll tell you the answer is under 100. Just, you know, kind of ballpark it. What are we, you know, do you think it's, you know, is it two months out of the year? Is it two and a half months? 33 non-consecutive calendar days. Yep. So basically, on any given day, there is a 90.95% chance there's a festival at Epcot. Mm-hmm. I wish I was surprised by those numbers when you first told me about them, you know? I wanted to be too, but... I couldn't be. No. Th- there was no way I could be. But yeah, I figured, I figured this would be a... Um, an interesting topic to go over because uh, a lot of people are going to have uh, very, very um, divisive feelings on this dilemma. Yes, I'm uh, sure. As as the festivals have uh, expanded, they've become a bit more controversial than they, than they used to be. Used to be, you know, when they were actually special. Uh-huh. Yeah, therein lies the problem of making what was supposed to be um, seasonal festivals turn into uh four or five month slogs mm-hmm. full of uh lapsed openings and everything so let's start off with uh the first one that takes place every year and as well as if it's a newest festival the festival of the arts uh which i have never attended that's because for some reason despite them saying the event takes place all week which it does 
technically. There are offerings all week long. The main attractions at the Festival of the Arts are only on the weekends. Which is more like what a lot of the festivals used to be, but then, you know. Um, and I'll get into it later. I do have a, a, a bit of a conspiracy theory that it's pretty much proven at this point on why there are so many festivals but i have to keep something for later on in the episode so we've got a hook to keep our uh to keep our uh, engagement up okay <laughs> i've heard algorithms like it when people listen to things for longer i can't just give everybody everything right out the gate like i normally do well why we want to be su- successful now you know you do have a point <laughs> we're a bit late in the game for that yeah but still, the festival, the, I don't know why, but all of the main engagements, like all the stage performances back when they had those, those went the way the Dodo after COVID. And I don't think they came back this year, but um, they used to have like Disney Broadway stars and things like that come and perform on the weekends. Not nearly as consistent as something like uh, Eat to the Beat or Garden Rocks, which we'll talk about in a bit, too. I do know that they did still have a regular uh uh, that well, not 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 regular. That's the wrong word. Uh, specific artists that do at least some work for Disney come in during the festival because I remember seeing some of the ones I follow saying, "Oh, I'm going down to the Festival of the Arts for a c- couple days. I'll I'll be doing commissions, drawing stuff. So come say hi to, hi to me, stuff like that." Yeah, yeah. They did still have the um the artists actually working in their stations and everything, which is always a treat. And if you ask me, that's that, that's what they do week uh, all week. Uh, during the festival, which is in, if you ask me, is arguably the highlight of the festival. But above all, there is one thing that they do every day for the festival that I think is like the only thing about the festival I vividly remember every single year. They have a gigantic color by number mural. A different one every day. No, it, it, a different one. It, it they, it's supposed to be a different one every year but i believe there have been years where they filled up too early and had to replace it the festival only goes for a month and a half I yeah think. it's the uh, shortest one like just just over six weeks yeah which around the time the festivals used to be yeah yeah and they always they're always some big celebration of epcot iconography Usually always something to do with Figment and usually always something to do with Spaceship Earth. So we know what you really want to hear about with this. You want to hear about the Figment popcorn buckets? Yeah. Dear sweet $5,000 Figment popcorn buckets. I wish I had gotten my hands on one. So you sent me a picture from, from uh, your your parents were there that, fir- that first day and they saw like a massive line that yeah my mom was specifically going to get one for me because i asked her to because i heard it was coming out and i went that is going to be chaotic uh if you can possibly brave the lines to get me one i'd appreciate it and then she saw the line sent me a picture and went i'm getting a margarita and i'm going home And I went, okay, I lo- I took one picture at that line. I was in the middle of class, so I had to like mute my expression, but I was like, okay. Yeah, I can't really blame her when, when like blame her. major news outlets were reporting that, that there was a seven hour li- line at Disney to get a popcorn bucket. 
Yeah, and Universal decided to be like, oh yeah, the line for Hagrid's is only two hours right now. And I'm like, it's kind of a shame when people are more excited over a popcorn bucket than your biggest attraction, not going to lie. Well, think that's not transphobic. <laughs> uh, Figment may have uh, slowly transformed into a travesty of his former self, but still has that going for him. <laughs> But yeah, I just oh, that's an, that, that's just a little like side tangent I could go off on every time. I think it's hilarious every time Universal tries to use something like that, like shots fired at Disney, and it always ends up. It's like you you realize this doesn't look good for you, like you think it does. They right? do it because that one Chapek quote he, he said when like there there should not be ten hour hour lines for a ride, like that was a fail, failure you as a park. So anytime the lines do get long, they bring it up. But it's like. I hate to agree with Chapek on literally anything, but he's not wrong that your lines were unacceptable. Yeah. Like, I, I remember when Hagrid opened, because that was that was big news around here, and um, lines were like six, seven hours themselves. I It reminds me of when Flight of Passage opened, but Flight of Passage never got that bad. I think the worst I ever saw Flight of Passage was four hours. Yeah, I, I I remember looking a couple t- times, and I don't think I ever saw, saw it go above that. Yeah, and Flight of Passage, for its merit, was a revolutionary new e-ticket at a park that hadn't had any serious expansion in years. Mm-hmm. What else did Animal Kingdom have going for it at the time? Donald's Dino Bash? I, do- I love Donald's <laughs> Dino Bash, but l- let's be real. It, it, it was not an e-ticket. However, I do still have my picture of Launchpad McQuack very close to my heart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was a good day. Anyways. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the Figman popcorn buckets. And uh, it got intense very quickly because it got to the point where not only were people reselling them for exorbitant rates, people were reselling pictures of them for exorbitant <laughs> rates. Uh, I believe people were talking about even minting NFTs of the popcorn bucket. And that's why I'm glad NFTs hadn't fully hit their stride by the time the popcorn bucket came out. Because otherwise, somebody would have legitimately tried that. And there would have been a lawsuit for the ages. So so actually, I am disappointed it didn't ha- happen, just so Disney could kill NFTs faster. That is a good point. I know, uh... Yeah. However, then at the same time, ah, oh, but ah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I don't know how I feel about I, that. I will say that the person who was sell- selling that crappy hand-drawn picture, they, I know they sold it for like a ridiculous amount of money, I can't remember which, but they did end up giving it all to charity, so good on, good on you for that. Honestly, just the sheer energy it took to do something like that, that person's a national hero in yeah. my book. That is the exact kind of energy I want to bring into my daily life. And you can attest to, I pretty much do. Oh, yeah. Just without the uh, exorbitant late-stage capitalism element. I'm not getting into that any further today. Um, <laughs> no, but it was... We'll save that for the two-year mark, too. So, our Disney our Disney ad- adults... Crazy? Yes, we, 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 we knew that. We, we've accepted that at this point. What's What I don't accept is freaking scalpers. Yeah, and they always crop up with these things. I It's it, it's kind of a big deal in terms of popcorn buckets in general because uh Tim, you know this, but um I have a massive popcorn bucket collection myself. 
so I've been through all the times where they have to go, no, you can only buy one. No, you, you can only buy two. Or sometimes they just go, we're not selling the souvenirs today because people have been trying to um, buy them all up just to resell them. Yeah. So they buy these things in bulk at the beginning because they assume they're not going to restock, but it always gets, gets restocked. So one, you're not even making your your money back. So what good did it do you? And two, so much of your merchandise is now going to one person who's trying to sell it, but can't because you're still selling at the same same price and they're marking marking up five thousand percent. So nobody wins here. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a weird phenomenon, but at the same time, I don't think I I really believe that there should. Uh, it's like a lot of people have proposed the easy solution is to like make a lot of the popcorn buckets available online. And at the same time, I'm like, why, why would you bother with that? No, there's I, not really a, re- a reason for a souvenir popcorn bucket to be available online when it's park merchandise. Well, there's that, but my thing is that that wouldn't solve the problem because scalpers are just as bad online as they are in person. Yeah, if anything, that would just introduce it to a wider array of of scalpers. Yeah, th- this is uh, go- going off topic for a bit, but a uh, little over a year ago, Transformers did a uh, collaborative t- toy with a Back to the Future, so it was a transforming DeLorean. Right, I remember hearing this story. Yeah, that, you're going to hear it again. <laughs> so my friend and I were su- super excited. We knew the day was coming. It's like, all right, I'll I'll get two two of the two of the two two of these, and you can pay me back later. First of all, it was a Walmart.com exclusive, so you already know this is going to have a good ending. Yeah, Walmart.com always turns out great. Yeah. I tried refreshing my computer for seven hours trying to get this this thing in. Each kid said, oh, it's not available yet, it's not available yet, it's not available available yet. And then the millisecond it goes through, guess what the limit per customer was? One. Ten. 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 Oh God. I was expecting two max. I yeah, I I two makes sense. Yeah, so so you got all these people set, setting, up, setting up bots to, to be watching watching the thing and buy up the the max as soon as it's available, so within milliseconds it was gone. Oh, that's the part I remember is just the fact that it sold out like instantly. Yeah, so we did eventually get one, but the point is, nobody had a chance to actually buy it because they wanted one. People were just buying it it's, so they could sell it. And like within minutes, it was on eBay for like $7,500. Yeah, and I think that's just a problem of the of the collector's market in general. Is that because if you're not careful enough with it, like scarcity, especially artificial scarcity, will drive people to believe that they can profit off of what you're already profiting off of. Oh yeah, the the, the second hand market is it can be a tricky 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 thing. I fully understand that, but you're not even getting the chance to have a first hand market. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the real scalping. Like at the end of the day, resellers are always going to exist. That's a problem you can't solve without uh you know, addressing the downfallings of late stage capitalism but at the end of the day when it's coming to the point where you know everybody has to go through resellers because you weren't being smart enough to prevent your product from being scalped in the first place it's like 
well, damn, how, how much thinking did you put into before you did this? But at the same time, it feels like Disney is kind of ambivalent to, to about stopping this. Uh, I, I'm sure I, I talked about this when we, when we did our episode on the 50th, but the day of the 50th anniversary, they opened the part, uh, the Magic Kingdom at like 7 a.m. before the actual thing to get into Main Street to go into the Emporium. And there were full on fist fights over people breaking out trying to buy up as much, much of the 50th anniversary merch as they could. <laughs> yeah, I remember my parents were in the Emporium that day. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah they they were in the early morning they saw the chaos that broke out and then they just went hmm we're just gonna hop to animal kingdom yeah and like but uh yeah it was there, there's been times when if a person is particularly egregious about it disney will like revoke their annual annual pass or something but on the whole they don't do a lot to curb it yeah at the end of the day the the only thing disney is really trying to clamp down on is cast resellers. Like if you go to cast connections and buy up merchandise that isn't available anymore and start reselling it, Disney will be down on you like the hand of God. But you do it as a normal park guest. Hmm. We don't really care. And that's why the figment popcorn bucket is going for, uh, I don't know. I think I saw it for like $10,000. I'm sure by now the the price is a calm down. Let, let, Let me take a look. So do I. I am currently seeing it for 200 which is significantly calmer than I originally saw it for. Oh, I'm actually seeing one for uh, $50. What, what did they read so for? Like, like uh, 30 or 40 Something like that? Uh, yeah, I want to say uh, 30 or 35 But yeah, the, the price has calmed down significantly, and it's like $50 now. Yeah, it's so- not bad. And that's the lowest I'm seeing. Most of them I'm seeing are like 150, 140 around that, that uh, point. And I'm like, okay, you know, for something that literally had like national media outlets putting out headlines over how chaotic it got. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I'd pay 140 for it. Not happily, but I'd do it because <laughs> I do eventually want to add it to my collection. Yeah. Uh, but that is endemic of... Another thing that's kind of overtaken all the festivals. They're all about food now. Yeah. They're all about food and they're all about merchandise. And the merchandise almost never has anything to do with the festival. Not really. I remember the days when the when uh, the festival center used to be open. And you used to be able to buy like food and, food and wine festival branded cookware. Or like um, flower and garden branded like stepping stones for an actual garden. This was uh, when, when I went, went down there from my senior trip for high school, it, it was during flower and garden. And I bought my mom a uh, Mickey garden gnome from mother, mother's mother's day. And it, that, that thing was out, out there for a good 10 years. It, it only eventually got destroyed because of, you know, exposure to the elements over a decade, but it, it, it lasted a good, yeah. pretty long time. Unfor- we got one of the stepping stones that we kept out uh, as a sort of decoration in our front yard, but um, it unfortunately did not last so long. It, it wasn't really like it was destroyed or anything like that, but the Florida sun is what the Florida sun is, yeah. and uh, it got it faded very quickly. Within two years, it was pretty much grayscale, which is a shame because, uh, you know, it was dated and everything, so... Oh, well. I think that kind of shows that the Festival of the Arts never really had a chance to be what it was going to be, because 
I believe it started in 2017, 2018. Um, yes, that sounds right. Let me, uh, yeah, 2017. Yeah. So, so by then all, all the, uh, festivals were, were, were doing food booths. So it had to have one when it opened. So it was not really a chance to be about the arts. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, I will say it's way better about actually committing itself to what it's about than the other festivals. And that is mostly just because it's the smallest scale of all the festivals. It really is just one they invented to fill a spot on the calendar. Boy, does it show. But yeah, they they have food booths, but for the most part, they're pretty limited. And I will say some of the experiences they have up in terms of food while while it is happening are pretty fun, actually. There was one where they had like this um, like flavor lab type deal, which, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with the arts. Nothing (laughs) at all. But I don't know. Points for uh, creativity, I guess. Oh no, I'll, I'll never, I'll never say that they half-assed the food, the food, but it's just why is the food there? I get you, I get you. Yeah, but yeah, the festival of the arts is the youngest and uh, so far the least jaded of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's mostly because Disney doesn't care about it, but. Yeah. Hey, I'm happy to keep it that way if that's what it takes for it to rese- uh, keep some resemblance of what it should be. Disney not caring about you is a odd place to be in depending on what you are. Yeah, it's either a death sentence or a blessing. <laughs> uh, like living with the land. I don't uh, Disney doesn't care about living with the land anymore and that is a blessing. Uh, after your Disney TV sh- TV show though, though you're screwed. <laughs> Oh no, if you're Disney TV and they stop caring, you are dead. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then you get into the Flower and Garden, which is something Disney cares for very, very much. And that comes with all the various pros and cons that come with all of Disney's love and attention. Indeed. I remember when they really started revamping and uh, pushing the topiaries really hard. Yes, yeah, so, so Flower and Garden is uh, it's a celebration of spring. So they so throughout the park they put up a bunch of uh, topiaries of various char- characters, uh, famous scenes from Disney movies, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of these topiaries are very impressive and very well maintained for the le- for the length of the fe- festival. There, yeah, um, it is also conveniently the oldest festival. It was the first Epcot festival, mm-hmm. which is really funny considering it's. What it's right in front of the um youngest one it it almost feels like we're like skipping around here despite the fact that we're going in it chronologically through a calendar year we've gone from the youngest festival to the oldest one yeah <laughs> yeah it does but the flowering garden it's an interesting experience the topiaries are really nice like mm-hmm. i said the topiaries absolutely phenomenal uh, I, some of the showcases they have are really fun too. I remember in England, they one year they had a um, display based off of Shakespeare. So it's a bunch oh. of different flowers and plants that Shakespeare mentioned and the lines that he mentioned them in. That is really uh, cool. And that it was really neat. And then that led to the very cryptic post I, uh, I made on my old Instagram, one of the only posts I made on there that I actually remember, where I had the Kermit topiary and then a quote from Hamlet. 
nobody uh, nobody ever reacted to that um mostly because my friends in high school did not appreciate the fact that i was like mentally like in a completely different dimension from everybody else my visionary aesthetic was not the world just wasn't ready for it a genius has never appreciated it's time exactly 20 years from now (laughs) when we get muppets hamlet you'll all be sat there wondering wow did he get paid royalties for that and no no i did not (laughs) Just like my father didn't get paid royalties for the Expendables, but he pitched that idea to me years before that movie was even a blink in anybody's eye. Uh, He's still salty about that. I, I would <laughs> just be like I will be salty if if Muppet Hamlet comes out. I just want to talk about Muppet Hamlet now. Muppet Hamlet would be very funny. <laughs> uh, any, 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 anyways, uh, the Flower and Garden Festival, yeah. everyone. So yeah, the uh, the first time I went in 2012, they, they still didn't have any, any booths. It was just the topiaries and a bunch of uh, live performances throughout the park. Yeah, because that was, that was around the time they started leaning into live performances, but before Garden Rocks, I think, right? Uh, yeah, Rocks, I, don't, I, I don't believe Garden Rocks was, was there. Down here. Yeah, I think Garden Rocks came in 2015, I think. Let me look. Uh, yeah, 2015. 2015 is also conveniently the year the Kermit the Frog topiary premiered. It all comes full circle. Everything is connected. Um, I don't know what other cryptic conspiracy theory sounding quote to leave this off on, but imagine I hit the trifecta. The truth is out there. Yeah, there we go. The truth (laughs) is out there. Wow, that one was obvious. I am disappointed in myself. (laughs) (laughs) But man, yeah, I've gone to see so many of the Garden Rocks concerts over the years. I will say, I I see no reason for the concert series to exist. But I'm not complaining that they do exist. I go to see them all the time. Yeah, when I think about it, it really doesn't have any reason to be. Not a single reason. However, counterpoint, why the hell not, I guess. Yeah, yeah, true. Why not? I mean, it's just a bunch of 80s B-listers. It's not like it's ridiculously expensive for disney and they tend to pack pretty well so Mm -hmm. that is also part of the reason that will tie into my conspiracy theory later on about why these festivals are so long every year now are these the uh, free concerts because i know there's a couple of uh, ticketed events you gotta do separately there are ticketed events but those are you those are pretty few and far between uh, as far as concerts go uh, the ticketed events used to be more popular a couple of years ago in the festival showcase where they would give you like demonstration classes and things like that, but they stopped doing that a while ago too, or at least heavily downscaled it when they stopped using the festival center. Uh, all the concert series are the free stuff. Uh, I think you can get a dinner package if you go to one of the all you can eat places uh, around the world showcase that gets you like prime seating. I know I did that. Uh, you can do that at all the festivals actually. Because I know I did that last year, um, the day Indiana Jones reopened, I went to Beer Garden and then I came back to Epcot to see uh, the Candlelight Processional. That was a weird day. <laughs> we we got to talk about about fireworks packages at some point because uh, th- those screwed us over when 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 we when we when, we, when I, last I went when we needed them most. Uh, just, yeah, because uh, uh, it it was the uh, October first and we had reservations at Rose and Crown. And apparently our, our reservation was lost entirely because they needed the, the space for a fireworks package. 
No. Hand to God. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, that's slimy. Meanwhile, I've got the problem of, like, I don't want to deal with the crowds during the fireworks because my family always ends up getting really whingy about it. Yeah. So we always end up looking for the fireworks package, like, please be open, please be open, please be open, and they're never open, and we're just like, ah. All right, another sucky 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) We did eventually get in, but it it, it was a pain in the ass. Yeah, I don't doubt it. That's actually what we were going to do this 4th of July, is we were keeping an eye out for like the dessert parties at Magic Kingdom. Like, please reopen. Please, for the love of God, reopen. We need those good seats. They did not reopen. We went to Liberty Tree. It started raining, and we all went, if we sit out in this rain for fireworks, <laughs> we will all be at each other's throats by the time we go home. And we'd at least like to buy ourselves another 20 minutes as opposed to accelerating that process. Very, very fair. Very fair. <laughs> we all just ended up at each other's throats over a completely different thing. And that was who was going to watch the dog because he was afraid of the firework. Oh. But yeah, I... We completely veered off of the Flower and Garden because we said pretty much everything there is to say about the Flower and Garden, didn't we? Yeah, Flower and Garden is definitely the most low-key of the festivals. Like, the big draw is the topiaries, and not really a lot you can do with topiaries. Yeah, Yeah, like I said, there used to be uh, showcases over at the festival uh, center, which I believe was the old uh, Wonders of Health exhibit, but I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that that's what that used to be. Wonders Alive, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Why do I keep thinking it's I don't know. It's before my time. I'm never gonna get the name right. But yeah, back when that was the festival center, you used to have showcases of like ways to take care of different plants and way and um ways different plants could be like used for like medicinal purposes, like uh how to you know cultivate aloe for personal use and things like that. There were some fun ones. Um, not really anything like super spectacular, like, oh, this is totally worth coming to the event alone for. Flowering Garden wasn't. It was never a thing I planned for. It was just if it happened to be there as I was going like, oh, oh cool. Flowering Garden will be, be there. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see the cool topiaries. Yeah, exactly. That is, that is pretty much exactly it. Yeah. And now, now we get into the festival everyone plans for, because it is the festival that um, gave Epcot its unofficial motto. Uh, the Food and Wine Festival, or as everybody now realistically refers to it as the Drink Around the World Tour. Oh, no, I was calling Epcot Drink Around the World long before then. Yeah, but... Food and wine, I, I like it. It, it, I just food and wine's been running for so long. I mean, even then, food and wine. A lot of people don't know this. Food and wine replaced a literal wine festival. All they did was add food. The wine festival was already happening. Epcot was already drink around the world long before food and wine. However, so this is really the one Epcot has built as like the destination festival. Like you want to be here for food and wine. This is the one people like will people that care about Epcot. That is will uh, schedule their vacation. Like you, you do have the crowd that'll come for the flower and garden, but it is not nearly as much as will come for the food and wine. 
And that has gotten much easier because, like, since COVID, when the parks first reopened after COVID, uh, food and wine started imme- immediately. And, and like, oh, okay, that makes sense. It's going to be at reduced reduced capacity, so so they might as well push it push it out, out like another month or two. And since then, they just kept it at that length. So it used to go from like the beginning of September through mid November. Now it goes from mid July to, to to November. Yeah, and it only ends in mid November, and it. Probably only ends in mid-November because they immediately have to turn around and do the festival of the holidays. Yeah. But yeah, and it's gotten to the point where um, because food and wine is open so long, they've taken this approach of um, layering openings. Like certain booths will only open at certain dates in the festival, which I don't think I have to say is a terrible and stupid idea. I was there. I was there for the uh, first first day, day last last year and someone decided to insult me personally because Ireland was not open yet yeah yeah I remember you and I were fuming about that I was oh not happy God. and then it, it opened like like a month before they said it was going to yeah that was the worst part it's like if, if you're gonna do the layered opening terrible idea thing at least commit to the terrible yeah, idea yeah I have much more respect for a terrible idea that people just absolutely like double down on every time than a terrible idea that people back out of at the last second. Because it's like, dude, at least commit to the stupidity. All right. It's not as funny to make fun of you if you're inconsistent. It's still very funny, just not as funny. <laughs> oh, and you know what the thing that, that kind of irked me this time is? It, it's It's really dumb. Ultimate first world problem. Biggest first world problem I've ever had. So I'm sure you've heard everybody whinging about QR menus, like having to scan QR codes for menus Uh everywhere now. But what? The eat to the beat schedule is on a QR code now. Oh, come on. (laughs) Right. It's like I, I, I get the complaints about QR menus. I don't. Like it doesn't personally get to me, but it's like, yeah, it's a little frustrating. But you went and for the my trouble dad, who doesn't the pamphlets only... anyway. Yeah, exactly. But you already printed the booklets. It only took like one page. Put it in smaller type. Don't write out the full months if you do, if you don't want to. Just put like eight slash one, eight slash two. People will get it. If the Europeans don't get it, that's a European problem. <laughs> but. Is it really going to cost that much to add two more pages to this thing? I mean, especially when the front page is literally, well, no, actually, I mean, Quirksicle's become a big sponsor, but like when the first, when the inside cover is just a Quirksicle ad, it's like, come on. But like the restaurants do it because they, because they don't want people, uh, all the different people touching the menus, but it's like you design these things for people to pick them up and keep them. Yeah, exactly. It's just, mm. And let it be said, I get I get whingy about QR menus in restaurants too. Not necessarily for my sake, but for my dad's. Because my dad doesn't always bring his glasses into restaurants because he figures, okay, I'll be looking at a menu. I'll be able to read it without my glasses. And then they're like, oh, you have to scan the QR code. And that's when he has to make a decision. Either he has someone read the menu to him, or he has to walk all the way back out to the truck to get his glasses. Because he's <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know I'd have to read it off my phone. However, nature is healing and paper menus are back in restaurants. So only Disney gets singled out with my arc uh, with my uh, undeserved ire for QR codes today. (laughs) 
It's like I was trying to move switch screenshots over today. I mean, Tim knows because Tim's the one I sent them to. Yep. I forgot how annoying it is doing that by setting them to a smartphone because those QR codes are just, mm, man. That's that's why I, I tweet all the good screenshots I I, I want to say first because just because that's easier to get them. Yeah, honestly, maybe I'll do that. Is I'll just make a <laughs> burner Twitter just to post my Nintendo screen. <laughs> so most every country in World Showcase get, gets uh, at least one one booth, and they got a bunch, and some get more than one, or based on different thing, and a bunch of countries that mm-hmm. aren't usually represent represented get get a booth and there's kind of a push to to make you try at least one thing from each because you get these these uh because every kiosk has these uh pass passports where you can mark down the stuff you've had and if you have a certain number of certain things you can get get a special reward item uh you gotta pay Mm -hmm. extra extra for it but but don't don't worry about that about that it's it's fine it's fine not every year not every year most Uh, years uh, did I have one this year? Uh, let me look. I believe so, yeah. I don't know if you got to pay for it or not. Probably. Yeah, the Fromage Montage, which is apparently five um, cheese dishes. I much prefer the one that was five cookies. Why five cheese dishes? I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Let it be said. I will reinforce the trope that all white guys really like cheese. The oh. cheese dishes they have at the food and wine festival are phenomenal. There, there's one friend, friend, friend of mine who just started listening, and she got a, it. <laughs> she, she she got into into a massive rant, rant about the stereotype white people that eat like like cheese, and and I just played into it so hard. <laughs> I'm like, it, it, what can I say? Like cheese is good, man. Uh. That said, though, this is the festival that takes place during the hottest time of Florida's sun, and cheese and the sunlight do not mix great no. together. If I do that, I'm not doing it until until like uh, either October or November. And and you definitely cannot do do this all in one one day. Like, no. I, I mean, you could, because I'm seeing some but... of the options they have on here and their returners from years prior, yeah. and like some of these are really filling. Yeah, uh, th- these the these are the ones from uh, last year because they did this last year. Uh, griddled mm-hmm. cheese from Greece, which is just a big block of fried cheese. Uh, Schinken noodle from Germany, which is uh, like macaroni and cheese that has, has like ham and onions and other stuff in, in it. That that one's really re- re- it's that's actually really pro- probably good. yeah that's actually probably the easiest thing on this list to, to do. Barbecue pork rinds, yeah. Uh, passion fruit cheesecake. Mm-hmm. Uh, a corned beef sandwich. Uh, oh, 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 that oh, was that it. I, I was like, I don't. I, I was gonna say, I don't think that one returns this year. But yeah, it's there. They just removed the word sandwich from the name. <laughs> you do all that in one day, and I'm not standing standing down wind of view, wind of view for like a week. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you do that like right when the festival opens in the middle of July. Oh, those poor bloggers. Uh do I usually feel bad for, the, a for podcast, them? So we can just... <laughs> no, no, I never feel bad for bloggers. Not but me. I have some sympathy on, on on these days. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those rare occasions where it's like I don't feel sympathy for you as a vlogger. I feel sympathy for you as my fellow man having to suffer through such a grave injustice. 
snowman is an island and one man's lactose intolerance uh, affects me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the food and wine is by far the one that is the most popular. I mean, it even has a marathon. Oh, and that needs to be an episode we do eventually, because I will go on a tirade. We need to talk about what happened to Run Disney. Oh. Uh, That's got to happen one of these days, because I got words. Those 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 start up in the, in the winter. We can do it around then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I got words for that episode. I'll tell the whole story when we record that one. So is food and, is food and wine a lot of fun? Yes, but... Absolutely. But at the same time, why has it become what it's become? Yeah. Perhaps not surprisingly, food and wine has, beco- has itself become a glutton, glutton of a festival. Yeah. And it's probably the most hollow of all the festivals. Like, there's a lot on the surface to explore and see and do and whatnot. Like, there's a long list of food options, but behind that, you're uh, you're kind of out of options. Yeah, there's eat to the beat, but I think that's about it. Pretty much. Now, back when the festival center was open, that was where they would have all the demonstrations and they'd have like sa- like coffee samples from Joffrey's and things like that. I once sat through a presentation on like how different places prepare different coffee blends and how that affects the taste. I don't drink coffee, but it was pretty funny. I I just think it was kind of funny to be like, okay, uh, so this is why you're economically exploiting third world countries. Good to know. Um, (laughs) But that's just me being a jaded cynic. I will say this doesn't happen anymore for some very obvious reasons, but there was one thing I did at one food and wine festival that has a special place in my heart. I sat in on a taping of the chew and I only have fond memories of the chew because it would always be on when I didn't go to school. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my, my dad through the hub, which is the cast member portal, um, just kind of found out that they were filming the chew and then cast members and their families had a special opportunity to get in and we got in. So I, if you look at one of the episodes they shot at the food and wine, I am in the audience at a taping of the chew. It's just kind of a funny little thing to point out. It was a neat story. It was a good time. They gave us all uh what's that? What's that one fiber heavy granola bar nature one or something like that. N- nature one. Yeah. Fiber one, maybe. Nature one? Okay. Yeah, they gave us all fanny packs branded like that with a bunch of uh, granola bars on them. But I forgot the granola bars were there when I got home, so I just put it in my uh, night dresser. And then, like, years later, I pulled, I actually just pulled it out a couple of weeks ago and found out there were granola bars in there. And I went, oh. <laughs> it was fine. I wouldn't have eaten them, but I was like, I, I, I just pull them out and I just find, like, years-old granola bars. And I'm like, oh, when did these get there? So, lastly, is uh, Festival of the Holidays. Which is, admittedly, my favorite. If only because, you know, there's actual entertainment to the festival. (laughs) Or there was. I I don't know if a lot of it's returned yet, because I don't think I went last year. Or no, I did. But the shows weren't... The shows had, like, just barely reopened, and only a couple of them had reopened by last year. Well, they were still doing the uh, processional, right? Yeah, they were still doing the processional. That was the big thing. I don't think they could have gotten away with canceling the processional entirely. Not last year. 
2020, I believe they canceled the processional entirely. I don't know. Anyways, I don't even remember who I saw narrating it. I really don't. Actually, I know what day it was. Let me see if I can find my booklet. Yeah, they've had they've had some uh, pretty pretty big names do do the do the processional. I saw Neil Patrick Harris do it one year. Oh wow! Yeah, that was a good time. Well, dang, they don't have a they don't have the list on you. Confound it! It was December nineteenth, so it was Anna Gasteyer, which I don't remember who that is off the top of my head. Neither do I. Wasn't she on SNL or something? I think. Yes. Yeah. I I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Former SNL cast member. That's it. I was just about to say. But you know what I more so remember about that day? That was the day Indy reopened. Yes. And I was in a mad sprint to get from Epcot to Hollywood long enough to see Indy for its first show, and then sprint all the way back from Hollywood to Epcot to get back in time for our lunch reservations. But I was there. I was there at the very first show of Indy the day it reopened. Because, I mean, what else would I do? Could I live with myself if I wasn't there? No, I don't think I could have. I do remember the last year they did a a commercial of... Because they do the uh, cookie crawl during festival holidays. So they had one where the chef was explaining it to Kermit, and I'm like... Kermit the Frog... That was... Kermit the Frog reviewing cookies. you, You can't... It is We've this... been blown out of the water. Nothing we'll ever come up with is quite so fascinating of a commentary on the parks as that was. Like, is this so obviously a commercial to get you to come? Yes, but I don't care. Is it also the best thing I've ever seen? Absolutely. <laughs> I-, I need to know what Kermit thinks of like my cookies. That this is very important yeah, to me as a I- New Yorker. This is an important take. This take will determine my future. I will download my opinions on black and white cookies <laughs> going forward from Kermit the Frog. You underestimate my devotion. And yes, I did just casually switch drinks mid-recording. Oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the need to point it out because I just com- I change off to like a completely different looking bottle and it's like, yeah. But man, I just uh, the cookie crawl. Uh, the cookies are also the best part of the food offerings. The cookies are so good, especially the black and white cookies. That's why I need to know what Kermit thinks of the black and white cookies, because if Kermit doesn't like the black and white cookies, I'll be offended. But at the same time, I can't oppose Kermit on this. I will have to stop having the black and white cookies out of deference to Kermit. Yeah. What what else can you do? Uh, Brutal system. So the definitely the the biggest draw of the festival is that every light they they have a uh, candlelight right processional where they tell the story of christmas and it's actually gotten gotten a bit of flack the last couple of years pe- people thinking that that something that's over religious doesn't have a place in the theme park and i'm i don't really have a strong stance on this because i've never actually seen the processional myself i it is very much so you know, the story of Christmas from a Christian perspective. But um, I do think this is now the important time where we have to kind of back up and go like, these are all international festivals. Like the entire component of the festival is taking different looks at what different cultures and countries and regions of the world are interpreting these things as. Um, and that's kind of why I really like the festival of the holidays is it's, there's a bunch of different shows about different, like, um, holiday festivities around the world Mm -hmm. 
And they're not even for all for like Christmas or, uh, you know, like approximate, like approximate holidays. Yeah. Uh, other they're all over holidays. the place. Just to, yeah. You know, sometimes they're other winter holidays. Sometimes they're just completely disconnected holidays that it's like, yeah, this is a major holiday in our country. So uh, take it as you will. You know, you've got things like the Barn Santa in Norway or like La Bifana in Italy or, you know, things like that. Little, um, let it be said, they are mostly about Christmas because we are talking about a lot of uh, either European or predominantly Christian countries. Or at least countries with predominantly Christian histories. Right down to the fact that America, which is so conveniently center stage, has the big old <laughs> candlelight processional full of high school choirs singing to you about Jesus. Uh, but, you know, little there. baby Jesus, you know, before, bef- you know, the little baby Jesus that isn't, you know, you know, co-opted by a million different people to be like, oh, he agreed with us. And it's like, uh... we're not getting into religious iconography or the adoption of religious iconography here. That's for a different kind of podcast. Okay, so we've gotten through our brief overview of what each of the festivals is. Now it's time. The, the thing I've been baiting out all episode. I have to get into the reason I proposed this episode in the first place. My conspiracy theory on why there are only 33 calendar y- days in a calendar year without a festival. Okay, let's, let's hear it. If you think back to the original festivals, which, or, you know, was the Flower and Garden and the Food and Wine in the mid-90s, mm-hmm. they were rather, like, low-key events. They only really had, you know, like, the original Flower and Garden only had, like, one decoration and one uh, one really big decoration spot, which was the railway getting redesigned or not sure. redesigned, but redecorated uh, and a couple of little minor things. The first food and wine was just an expansion off of a wine tasting event that turned it into a, you know, a little casual like expansion of the food offerings at the parks. Really, you know, little small event, just little things to kind of spice up Epcot throughout a year little celebrations and things like that. But then you get into the point of when they all, when they all really started revamping, which is, you know, like 2010, 2012 kind of time, I guess to, to explain this, I have to kind of go into, uh, and, and here is my big hot take of all of this. I have to go into the way annual passes worked at the time because my hot take is, I firmly believe a good portion of the reason the the festivals have taken over Epcot's calendar the way they have is because of annual pass holders. Oh, no, no, you are absolutely right. I I 100% agree. The way annual passes worked at the time, there were plenty of different tiers of different levels of access. Um, You know, get you like multiple parks with a significant number of blackout dates, one with less blackout dates, one with no blackout dates, one with no blackout dates, and you get the water parks, so on and so forth. Those cost a lot of money. If you don't want to spend a lot of money, the lowest tier is what's called the Epcot Afternoon Pass. Which essentially means any day after 4pm, you could get into Epcot. And I don't believe that one had any blackout dates because of how limited of a pass it was. I think if it did, it was only like holidays themselves. Like you couldn't get in on the 4th of July. You couldn't get on Thanksgiving or Christmas. Things like that. You know, reasonable blackout dates for a, for an annual pass to half. Major holidays. So 
that's your cheapest pass. And admittedly, it's really cheap. Um, from what I remember, it was you only had to go like twice and you pretty much already profited off of it with how much it cost you a month. And Epcot twice a month back then was whatever. But the thing is, these festivals were all relatively low-key events. And to this day, even with the festivals, Epcot is routinely the park with the lowest attendance. Mm -hmm. So, because they wanted to encourage those people with lower-tier passes or... Um, locals in the area who may want to avoid crowds, they had to make Epcot a more enticing option. Which is, if you ask me, the biggest single reason why the festivals have begun to dominate Epcot is because that's when they started revamping and started adding things to be like, okay, here's this thing you can do at Epcot while you're here on your vacation or because you're here locally. Epcot, you know this locals, Epcot's never busy. You can come do all this and have the time of your life with no real crowd. Yeah. No, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like, I'm I'm going down with my dad in October, and we specifically avoided making a park res- uh, reservation for Epcot on the weekends because, like, that's when all the locals are going to be at food and wine. No, no, no offense. Yeah, no it it's absolutely a thing. Like, if you talk to the regular crowds at a lot of the festivals, you'll find more often than not, a lot of them aren't tourists. There are tourists who will come out of their way for the festivals, but most of the really heavy festival crowds are locals. Like, through and through. Which Disney has very obviously nodded to the fact that that's what they're doing with it, because they put out they put out annual passholder merchandise for every festival. More often than not, while a festival's running, we get a passholder magnet for it. The whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Then you get into the point of also looking at, like, demographic information in the area. Of, uh, you know, retirees... You know, there's the joke that everybody comes to Florida to retire, which is admittedly pretty true. A lot of North Florida is really heavily, uh, really heavily populated by retirees and things like that. But, you know, older demographics are kind of the trend in Florida in general. That is also why I believe the Eat to the Beat concerts are really usually pretty heavily stacked with. uh, I say this very lovingly because some of my favorite artists have come to these concert series uh, has been's. Yeah, I I say this with all the love in my heart because I have seen bands I absolutely adore at these concert series. I have seen musicians I love with all my heart, but we got to face it. It's not the 80s anymore. They're not A-listers. They'd be lucky to even be B-listers. But because of because they're musicians that older demographics, you know, will connect to faster than if Disney just suddenly went, yeah, let's just invite the weekend to play. <laughs> the weekend would draw a very different crowd than what Disney wants out of the festivals. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like the festivals are absolutely just a, a, a fancy little red towel to get the local annual pass holders charging like bulls into the shops to buy merchandise or buy food or things like that. And I think that's also why the, the festivals start pushing food so much. It's like, oh, you've got to come and try all the tasty food. If you can't do it in one day, I guess you'll just have to come back another day. But yeah, this is a conspiracy theory that I've had like baked into my brain for years of like every time they do something, I'm like, I know what you're doing. I'm on to you. So with that scathing hot take, 
they were going to wrap this up. Now. I know it's lukewarm at best, but <laughs> no, no, I, I, I've I, never heard it. So I meant that sincerely. <laughs> Nobody will admit it, but I'm right. Next time, uh, AJ, we've been doing this for a whole year. Yeah, it's kind of wild to think about. I know it. Uh, I can barely b- believe it, and we've got a a very special surprise pl- planned for planned for for ne- for next for next time. So we'll leave we'll leave you, leave you leave you on that cliffhanger. Uh, but until then, we'll see you real soon. Toodles.